I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome to Millennial Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Emily, we're talking Q&A today. Q&A, it's almost like a mixed bag of lollies. We've got a variety of questions from our community. Thank you to those who have put questions in the Facebook group. Uh, we're keen to answer your questions, so let's get into it. So Kathleen King says, just starting my journey a bit later than others, turning 31 in December. That's not too old, Kathleen, so don't worry about that. But trying to understand the risks and benefits of buying an investment property, I feel like I psyched myself up to do it, then delve too far into research and get scared and stop. How common is this? This is so common and there's so many pieces to this question that I feel like this is a great conversation to have. Mm. I think the first thing, as you said, like 31, that's not late. I think the average um, entry point to the market now is like more around the 36 mark. So um, please don't feel like you're lagging behind at all. To get in the market at any point in time is a massive achievement. So that's first things first. Mm. But I think what's evident from the way the question is worded is analysis, paralysis, getting yourself psyched up, getting the idea in your head that buying an investment property is what you're going to do and then getting overwhelmed. Where do I buy? What do I buy? Will I get a good tenant? What's the rental return going to be? There are so many factors to unpack when you're buying an investment property. Yeah, absolutely. And and I wrote down a couple of things in answer to this question. I think just the pure number of properties and, and real estate that's available to us. Um, like if we go on to realestate.com, not really knowing location or, or type of property and, and in some cases not even price point if we haven't really got a borrowing capacity yet. Like there's thousands and thousands of options out there, isn't it? So it can be very daunting if we haven't really got a concise strategy. So I think that would be the first part of it is just to really know what it is that you want. So Kathleen, that might be like, okay, minimum three bedrooms. Um, it, it might be a house. It might be on a, a minimum square uh, lot. It might need to come with a certain rental uh, yield or amount per week that handles your cash flow or your strategy of, of yield. Um, and, and then the location. So understanding the one or two suburbs that you want to buy in as opposed to just saying, well, I want to buy in Queensland or I want to buy in a capital city like the the search is too broad isn't it so we we need to really hone in on that strategy and then once we've got that i think it it does come down to our personality type uh, like i know um 
when Glenn and I talk about this often, like he's uh, really impulse. I'm just going to do it. Like just I've done that even before I've even thought about it. Whereas <laughs> I might sit back for a few days and think more about it and and contemplate the pros and cons of it and and work it all out. Now neither personality is right or wrong, but I think it's understanding what your personality is um, and, and for Kathleen without knowing yours uh, are you someone that's sort of saying uh, look every decision in my life takes time and I need to work my way through that am I very analytical in my um, decision making and my processing so if that's the case understand that for a start and then say well because I am that I might need to outsource it or I might need to really uh, hone in on certain parts of it so that I've got a deadline to work to and I'm not sitting around in three months' time uh, having done all this searching and not putting in any offers and, and I'm almost back to square one again. I think the biggest thing in this is recognising your skill set as well, as you sort of alluded to, do I need to outsource this or can I do it myself? Because um, it reminds me of a recent episode we recorded with some of our community members, Shay and Daniel, shout out to those guys who really threw themselves into the research because they loved it. Like they really thoroughly enjoyed searching for property as a hobby. Some people can think of nothing worse um, and other people are simply too time poor to actually do the legwork to bring themselves up to speed. Because I guess the one question I always ask of people who are looking to invest for the first time is, have you considered Australia as a whole market to choose from? And a lot of people actually haven't thought of that. Many times the most common investor journey for a first-time investor is they buy in the suburbs that they know, that they live in, or that maybe their parents lived in. And whilst maybe by fluke, that could be a good option. The numbers might stack up, it might be the right place. I think when you look at Australia as a whole, it gives you a lot more choice and a lot more options. So potentially looking at someone who can cover more ground than just yourself as an individual could be helpful. Um, But if you love researching, like some people are property nerds who tune into this podcast every week, they just can't get Mm. enough of property and they do it themselves and they do a great job. So there's no right or wrong. I think it's just recognizing your strengths in the process. No, absolutely. And, And without dwelling on this for too long, for someone like Kathleen, would you say that going too far and wide might actually even complicate the issue for her? Does she need to stay to to one particular state that she's comfortable with so that uh, she's not psyching herself out? I, I don't know. I just, um, yeah, what do you think there? Look, I think it's getting the parameters in place of what the property needs to do. And then I think location can be a bit far and wide. You know, you don't, like, I think if you need the, the outcome on the get-go as to what does this property need to do, and then find the spot that it's in as opposed to the other. That's how I would do it personally, but mm. that doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. No, it, and I did a, a clarity call with a couple yesterday actually and one of them was like you mentioned, the the property nerd does all the research, has all the data, um, it's all in front of them and then his partner was just going to open homes and, and just saying, I think we should buy this one with no real research involved and just uh, emotion. So I think 
I don't like. I, I, sorry, I don't mind that combination because it's like okay, one's a go getter, the other's a researcher. Bring them both together and find some middle ground, and you've got a really good outcome there. Um, but for for singles out there listening, um, you might not have that luxury. So it's really just yeah, understanding where you're coming from and your own personality, so that you're not too impulsive, but you're not sitting on the fence um, researching for six months, twelve months before you before you act but yeah really common one Kathleen thanks for asking that definitely always appreciate people reaching out and asking the questions who are that's probably very relatable to a lot of people who tune in so thanks Mm. Kathleen so Alyssa Blanche says capital gains tax when you have both lived in and used the same property as an investment now Emily because you're a qualified CPA you can answer this question I love the handball there. Do you know what? This question did come up. I remember talking to you about this, about the six-year rule uh, that there's – I mean, do you know what? I actually spoke to my dad about this because him being an accountant, I was trying to work out how I could buy a place, live in it, then flip it to investment, then move back into it and avoid capital gains tax. Just some context here. If you – buy an investment property and you never live in the property, you've never lived in it at all, you will pay a capital gain tax on the gain at the time of sale of that property. So, that's what we're referring to when we say capital gains tax. Now, we probably need to get a qualified accountant to (laughs) thoroughly answer this question, but I'm of the understanding that if you live in the property within the first 12 months, I think that's state dependent, but more generally, the first 12 months since you purchased it, you occupy the home, then for some reason you need to move out, whether it be work or relocation, you flip it to an investment and then you return within six years, which is why it's called the six-year rule, you can avoid capital gains tax. That is my very basic understanding of the rule. Yeah, likewise. And on Q, we actually have got an accountant episode in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that one uh, because this will go into a lot more detail about um, the do's and don'ts and what you can do and what you can't do and capital gains tax and how it works. And, and, and look, I'm of the view that if we're paying capital gains tax, it's it's a good thing. We've made money, right? We haven't made a capital loss. So I, I think it's a good thing, but we can be strategic in uh, in how we go about it and just making the decisions or, or understanding our strategy before we purchase. Sometimes uh, once we purchase, it may be too late, especially with different structures. But yeah, so you're right, Emily. Uh, the six-year rule is is a really important one. Um, how much you've rented that out in that time period, um, again, may come into it, but knowing that you do get an exemption if you hold something for longer than 12 months, and this is not just property, this is um, uh, a business um, or, or any other asset. If we hold it for 12 months, uh, we get a 50% capital gains tax exemption at the at the time of recording this. So, yeah, that's a nice little um, windfall as well. But uh, good question, Alyssa. Stay tuned for the next accountant episode. Most definitely. And just side note, tax isn't a bad word. I feel like a lot of people do go, oh, you're paying tax. Like that's a really bad thing. Um, it's not. And I'm sure there's plenty of episodes Um, on the main show as well that have covered off on the idea of tax and paying tax. But just something to reflect on today, tax is not a bad word. 
it means a good thing. If you're paying tax, it means you're making money. And I feel like making money more generally, most people would agree, is a positive. So food for thought. Yeah, totally. And and um, and Scott Young, our accountant who we're interviewing, he'll um, discuss this as well. But uh, understanding uh, how we deal with the money knowing that we are going to turn that into an investment. So if we've, um, and the use of the offset account, as opposed to potentially paying it down or paying more off it, uh, if we know that we're going to turn it into an investment and then we want to save our funds for a future uh, principal place of residence. So yeah, not not as um, straightforward as everyone thinks. Very true. Right. So we're talking Tasmania with this question, Emily. So right up your sleeve. Clint Pennicott says the Tasmanian property market is in a boom at the moment and it's extremely hard to work out what is a good price when sale prices are in excess of 20 to 30% of what the offers over price is. I have heard this and I've heard this from family members, from people who um, are friends of mine that still reside in Tassie. I am originally from Tassie. That's why John is referring to me. Uh, It's a very interesting one. And it also, um, with every state, I think the biggest thing is how the properties are marketed and the initial understanding of what a quote range is, what the market expectation is in itself is a big challenge. I think let's address that first because Victoria is very lucky. We have a statement of information that stipulates a price guide, whether that be a flat um, price or a range within 10%. Whereas in other states, you're going in a little bit blind, really. They kind of make you call the agent to work out what is this property worth. You're relying on your research a lot more. And so when you do see a property go for 20, 30% more than what you expected it to or what the vendor was hoping for, let's face it, that's really disheartening. That kind of makes you feel like, well, am am I ever going to get into this market? And I'm hearing a lot of feedback from people along those lines at, at the moment, which is... Not nice um, no. to feel that way. So the the first thing I think about as a buyer's agent is 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 the vendor wanting too much for this property, or is the agent underquoting? Like what, what's what's happening there? And I know Victoria's rogue for this at the moment is that the underquoting agents getting done for it. But uh, and I don't think it's wholly and solely the agent. It's just simply the heat of the market, and maybe the vendor realizing that the market is hot, so I'm going to uh, aim high for, for a price that uh, I might not think I'll get, but I'll just test the waters anyway because of the heat of the market. So my, my thoughts on on that for Clint is, well, just understand what's sold like for like in that suburb and, and know what you're prepared to pay and, and walk away. Now, the, the problem with that is well, we have to go to something else, and and we might get that same thing happening again, and then again and again and again, and and to the point where it's totally frustrating. So, yeah, it's it's a tough um, field to navigate through. Um, I don't, it, it won't last forever. There are boom um, parts of the cycle, and then it'll start to readjust and flatten. It might not happen. In the, in the short term at least, but just um, – and, and look, I say to some of my clients, and I'm sure you do the same as well, Emily, if, if we wait another six months and the market's gone up 10% on a 600K property, that's 60 grand. 
So can we pay 10000 more now just to absolutely secure something and get ourselves in the market today? It's a really good point. There's a running auctioneer's joke going around Victoria at the moment saying, you won't find another property like this or I can sell you this one for 10% more next weekend if you'd like. Yeah. And, and, and it's a joke yeah. and you know you have to take it on face value for what it is, but it is very true. And I think it's a fine art and a balancing act between not overpaying but also getting in and that is the struggle that a lot of people are facing right now and I I still believe that we are in very much of a seller's market at the time of recording which is sort of late November across Australia and when we're in that situation it's not about necessarily greedy vendors it's not necessarily about agents underquoting although the, both those things can be in play a lot of it is everybody else is just trying to get in so they're throwing their money um, and seeing what sticks so yeah be careful but also like John said if you're waiting uh, six months and the market goes up by 10% and you can't save as fast as the market is growing then getting in might be the best solution. Yep, for sure. All right, great question, Clint. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, We'll take a break and we'll come back and answer some more questions. We will. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We are back from the break where I have just inhaled a chocolate. So um, <laughs> hope you're having a chocolate while you listening to the podcast. Another question from the group. Addie has asked um, or has a situation, I should say. My partner and I have just purchased our first property and it has people renting it. The lease expires one month after settlement, at which point we will move in. My question is, should we continue to use the same property manager for the month or just handle it ourselves? Um, my concern is that the current property manager actually wants us to sign a three-month contract as we are new to all this. I really don't know what things are normal in the industry. Thanks in advance for some help. Great scenario and certainly one that many people would face, right? Because if you're not buying a property um, with vacant possession, which means the property is handed over to you with no tenant in place, 
um, you can find yourselves with a tenant on your hand for a short period of time. And that can be daunting. Um, it is, is a risk, to be honest. It's a risk to take on a property um, when you intend on living in it when it's got someone else currently living in it or after settlement. Um, and certainly you want to ensure the smooth transition from settling on the property, the tenant moving out, and then you moving in. What are your thoughts on the go-to for this, John? What would you say if it was your property? Yeah, look, it's um, it's something where you've really got to – like managing yourself is not an option, I don't think. Um, you, you've got to have it in the hands of, of a professional. In well, I talk about this a lot with clients in, in choosing the right property manager. Um, in some cases, much easier – to keep the existing relationship with the agent who's selling you the property um, because they can hand over the keys and they can yeah liaise a lot easier than trying to find a property manager that's outside of of that office and and often they get their back up too if you go and choose a, a different property manager which I find interesting it's like well you sold me the property but don't expect the property management but they just think it's a half of a given so um, like, like anything I think ask the right questions but uh, understand um, you, you've got to just make it very easy for you uh, and and make it a streamlined process where you don't need to get involved in it. Definitely. I think there's also another angle to this as well for listeners who are investors and that's along the lines of inheriting a tenant. So you might buy a property that is already tenanted, um, already got a property manager in place and you're taking over. I think it's interesting in that situation when you sort of inherit the tenant and the property manager for starters um, questions I would be asking as an investor, and this is going on a massive side note. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, I answered as an investor, didn't I? Yeah. I, I, no, no, no. That's okay. Well, they're moving <laughs> into it, but I'm sure there's investors listening to this as well. So I just yeah. thought we'd cover that off. Mm, yep. <laughs> um, one thing, and I'm somewhat speaking from personal experience on this, is when the current tenant isn't actually paying market rate, and you know that they you could be getting more for the property, but you've got to be sensitive not to disrupt. It becomes a moral thing as well, I think. I've, I've personally struggled with it a little bit. Um, but just to be cautious and don't just accept that, you know, the property manage the property manager and the tenant are the best solution for the property that you're taking over. I think it's always good to question these things, do a bit of investigation and make sure that you're getting the best return possible um, without just accepting, oh, yeah, you know, it'll be fine until something goes wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So there's an interesting question here posed which is not too dissimilar to the um, the other question we, we answered about the hot property market but mm. a group member said is anyone else completely deflated in regards to entering the property market i've only recently started full-time work 12 months ago at 27 which as we mm. discussed before is not that old um, after years of studying my 20s did not come from money no debt but very little savings due to starting so much later in life 
with paying house and life expenses and really trying to be frugal and budgeting everything, I've realised that I'll never be able to save enough to comfortably buy a house for at least another five to ten years. Also plan to have kids, feel the clock running on that. I realise I probably couldn't even work full-time for that entire time if I choose to do so. I have friends in similar positions, but they've managed to enter the market without or with the backing of their parents, sorry, or simply going for mortgages that they probably couldn't afford when interest rates go back up. Housing's just got so expensive. I've had to move twice in 12 months because landlords have decided to sell the rental due to a hot market. With every move for a similar house in similar location, I've ended up paying 25 to 35% more in rent. So, Jeez. anyone else That's feeling the same? <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot to take in there. Um, and, and we can pick, I suppose, three or four different parts of that to answer, can't we? Um, there's almost an episode on itself. But <laughs> I think when, and, and I feel your pain group member, um, but understand at age 27, not's all lost, right? It's 40 years till retirement, according to the government, age 67. So we have got time to go and do our thing. But short term, we're waking up thinking, how can I ever get ahead? Uh, which is quite natural to be thinking that way. So what also tends to happen when it's like this is other people are doing what you want to be doing, but you can't do it, right? Everyone else is buying homes. Well, how are they doing it? And as they've mentioned, they may be setting themselves up for a big set of failure in terms of, okay, if they're going beyond their means, interest rates could rise, all of a sudden they can't handle the repayments. What do they do? They have to sell or someone has to bail them out, okay? Mm. Yeah, so... We need to be strategic, don't we, Emily? We need to be able to say, okay, by the sounds of it, we can't get parental guarantor. Uh, can we move back home? Can we yeah, that's a- move somewhere, sorry, to, to go and share house, to, to not increase 25 to 35% every time we move, to just simply save our pennies, a little bit of short-term pain to go through that and, and have a goal to get it done by 30 and, and think outside the box and say, well, does that actually need to be a house I live in or can it be an investment property? Is the goal to just enter the property market to create wealth or is it to have a roof over my head? I think the biggest thing there is there's a lot of, um, I guess, comparisons to other people when we look at property and where we are in life and what we want to get to and um, our situation. And I think number one, what I would say from that whole situation is you do you and focus on, you know, your goals. And no matter what time frame those goals are achieved in, no matter what those goals actually are, they are important to you and that's all that matters. If a parental guarantor is not in the mix, because um, that is a great way, you know, to leverage yeah. and get into the market. If it's not like John said, um, free vesting as we like to call it or just living at home um, for a period of time, if that is an option, would be worthwhile. Or for a short term, you know, maybe living in a share house that is maybe a lot less. Yes, you're sharing with people, but you've got to focus on the long-term goal. I think looking at, you know, sort of that age range as well, that's still young to be getting into the market, even in, you know, early 30s. So getting in is probably the key here, working out how to do it 
um, is, you know, having a roadmap that you stick to mm. and you will make sacrifices. Everybody makes sacrifices when it comes to saving money. Um, you don't want to compromise and, and live a life of two-minute noodles and, you know, <laughs> living in a dungeon, probably not no. advisable. They've already done that at university, so they don't want to keep exactly. doing it. <laughs> don't want to live that uni life forever. No. Um, yeah. But certainly making compromises and and not being afraid to make compromises. I think that's what I'm trying to get to is focus on your goals and yeah. what your lifestyle looks like shouldn't really matter to anybody else. Um, and yeah. the moment you let that go, I think the bigger success that you have. Yeah. So, you're saying harden up and, and go through a bit of pain to get what you want, basically, is what I'm hearing, yeah. Emily. Now, Thanks for the summary. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, um, that's an interesting part that the back end about that whole um, you do you story, right? If for a moment or for the next year, we took away social media and all of the media, mm. right? And we just spoke to our friends and we went to work and we exercised and we ate and, and just did what we did back in the 1980s, right? Yeah. <laughs> How much pressure is now on this individual that asks a question or anyone else out there, for example? Because there is a lot of FOMO creeping in because of this, uh, what, what's happening in social media and it's fantastic. We would not have known this question without social media, so we're very <laughs> grateful of it. But is it working against us in the quest for, for our goal? Yeah, definitely. And I see it all the time. And I think it's a very valid point um, in terms of the influence it has of what life should be or, you know, what you should be doing and what other people are doing. And it's easier said than done to just say, oh, don't worry what other people think, because I know that people do value other people's opinions. Yeah. But I think when you look at successful people and where they've gotten, a lot of them genuinely are focused on themselves and they really don't care what other people think. Yeah, um, so, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, the whole rent versus buying thing, yes, it's frustrating because cash rates are so low and rent mm. is increasing by the minute. Uh, a $600 a week rent is, is equivalent to 600,000 P&I uh, loans. So when we, when we compare those two, it, it does make sense to, to buy your own home and live in it or at least buy something. Um, so it, it's just understanding how can we do something different to what everyone else is doing or do something different to what I've previously done? So is there a 5% deposit option out there? Knowing that I'm out of uni, um, I've studied for five, six, seven years, hopefully that will mean that my pay is increasing year on year, which means I can handle some repayments and just make sure we know what those repayments are going to be and have some buffers in place. But uh, yeah, we just have to think outside the box if we want a, a different result. And also just to touch on the rental increase, so obviously this group member at the moment is um, renting and seems to be getting pushed out of rentals as well because they're also increasing or um, the investor is selling out and now they're displaced. Um, if you are getting a, a landlord who's increasing rent, you know, to market value or thereabouts and it's a significant increase, don't be afraid to try and meet some middle ground on there. So, you know, it might be that they want to increase the rent by $30 a week um, and you might say, look, you know, I have been a valued tenant. I've been living here for X amount of time. You know, could we compromise and land on a $20 a week or whatever it might be? I think don't disregard negotiation in rentals because um, landlords do value 
loyal tenants who, you know, pay on time, keep the place clean and neat uh, and uh, are just all around good tenants. So, mm. Don't um, you need to leverage that? I think people need to realise they can leverage that, and don't be afraid to stick up for yourself as a tenant as well, so you're not constantly displaced. Yeah, totally. Get a, get a few more people in the house, live in a granny flat. Yeah, do what you need to do if the goal is 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 important enough to you. So yeah, yeah. Some awesome questions today. As always, thank you for putting them forward. Always feel free to put any question forward in the group. If it's on a thread or even just as a um, post, just put hashtag property because John and I madly search that as we go to record and we go through all the questions. Uh, I mean, no, sorry. We prepare them a week beforehand. We discuss them and then we talk about them. Yeah, absolutely (laughs) we do. We're well prepared in this uh, space. Exactly. Uh, But thanks for tuning in. And um, if you're not part of the Facebook group, go and join. If you've been a long-time listener and you do get value from this podcast as well, please feel free to leave us an honest review. It would help other people to understand what they can expect from the podcast as well if they're trolling for a new potty to listen to. So we would really appreciate that uh, if you could spare a moment of your time. It was funny. uh, Someone reached out yesterday to me and and I said, are you a listener of the podcast? And they said, I used to be. I'm like, oh, wow, we must have been around long enough for someone to say I used to be. I used to be. (laughs) they leave all those years ago yeah but (laughs) so i'm glad they're still thinking of us very much so well it's been a pleasure thanks for all your questions everybody and uh john and i will be with you next week sounds good see ya we acknowledge the dark and young people traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present we extend that respect to aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples who may listen to our podcast taking your property journey to the next level starts with education that's why we make this podcast but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps i've created the solvair online academy open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created The Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.